Welcome to episode 641 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 641 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsome and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Yourself? I'm pretty bloody <clears throat> brilliant. Do you know why I'm brilliant, John? Why? Well, it's a different day of the week for us. We're, we're recording this a week earlier than you guys are hearing it. So we're recording on a Wednesday morning. It feels a lot like a Tuesday morning. <laughs> it does. <laughs> because it's the same time of day. We're in the same position, but a different time, Wednesday. You know what I did this morning, Bevan? Wait a second. Uh, I don't know. 20-minute time trial. With oh, little, you said you were going to do that. With my little group on the bike. And I've just logged on to Facebook to look at our discussion of the week. And one of our participants there this morning came in on his birthday to do a 20... Paul Howells, it's birthday day. This will be coming out next week, so it's, it'll be a, you know, a few days late. Came in to TT on his birthday. <laughs> what a present that is. How do you do? Did he do? He did quite it? well. I haven't looked at his numbers yet, but he, I said afterwards, how was that? And he said, yeah, it was pretty good. Hit what he wanted. More so that's a good way to start your birthday number. John, how did you go? Pretty good. Yep, can't complain. I think uh, I can complain actually because my power meter stopped working for for, for a little period in there. So my number, average number is not quite as high as what I wanted, but overall, certainly uh, heading in the right direction. Can you, I think. Can, you, can you predict what it would have been? Sorry? Can you predict what it would have been? Yeah, you can. So it's probably just dropped like maybe three watts off what my total okay. was. So ended up with. On my Garmin, because uh, we have a, we do them on Wahoo Kickers, so you get a, a Wahoo Kicker power number and you get a, uh, a number off your, your, your the units on your bike. I think I was 319 watts on my bike, so probably rounded up to maybe 322, nice. and my best is about 335, so I'm not, uh, not miles away off that. And uh, yeah, one of those things though, you know when you finish either a, a race or a TT or something, and you go, that was a good strong effort, but I did have a little bit more in the tank. That's always a bit frustrating. And then I biked up to your place. And you smashed it up 10 minute climb up the hill. I'm going, my legs aren't that smoked. I think I had a bit more in the tank there today. It's because you didn't shave your legs, John. I know. You know, like, uh, you know, when do you get your wax done? Oh, so. You know what? I haven't even said I'm talking proudly brought to you by. Extreme endurance. (laughs) Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, Jumbo. And let's name a few. I've got to scroll up my page. We've got Richard Longsdale, the golden one. Phil, the material provider, Patterson, or Slash the Philanator, who James. got stuck in LA, got stuck in LAX yesterday. His flight got cancelled. Oh no! What happened? In New Zealand, somebody crashed into the yeah, New Zealand plane. That was their plane. They were, were they in the plane? No, they were supposed to be getting on the plane to come home. So what happened? Oh, I think they were parked up, and another plane just drove into them and uh, stuffed up something on the on the. And how long did they get delayed for? Well, I think they were probably in the air at the moment. But they were supposed to be home last night, I think. Oh, jeepers, creepers! Uh, James, Age of Danger, or Hot Lips Picker. There we go. These are our, 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 our patrons of the show. You can, this week's show, John, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We don't have an age group, do we? We were going, uh, we, we, I was going to start looking through the Kona winners. Okay, um, we need to kill some time because there's not much content today. Uh, and then we've got a great interview with who, John? With Dr. John Hellmans, who's got a new book out called Never Ever Give Up? Question marks. So, Really good little read. Um, so if you, if, even if you don't know John Hellman's, it gives you a great insight about his life, his involvement in triathlon. Got lots of triathlon history, specifically around some of the Kiwi athletes. But great book, and you're going to hear about that later on. Okay, guys. So let's look at some news. Obviously, we're recording this pretty much after the last week's show, so there's not going to be a huge amount of news. We don't know the results from the last weekend's race, so we'll kind of fill that in, in next week's show. But we've got a new event coming up, John. 
We have, yes. Yeah, so those races last weekend, well done to everybody who did well, what it was in Malaysia, Arizona, and Cozumel. Uh, nice memory. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a couple of things that are new. I saw a new race over in Yorkshire, an iron distance race, another unbranded race, the Yorkshire Yorkshire Man Triathlon in 2019. It's going to be on the 23rd of June, so reasonably early season race. So that Yorkshire, for those of you that don't know, is sort of Brownlee country uh, and you know a real hotbed for for triathlon in the UK. So. Go the Yorkshire man. And we've got the Sufferfest coming up in Australia. We have. One thing I noted on this, and, and I think I talked about this at the same time last year, so Sufferfest is a little series in Australia, and it's on Kangaroo Island, uh, and I've got on their page, unsurprisingly, a couple of pictures of kangaroos. But there's also some prize money um, on offer, and I'm just trying to find it. Have you been to Kangaroo Island, Bevan? No, we wouldn't even know where it is. Event information. Do you know where it is? Uh, no. Somewhere in Australia, right? I'm just I'm, uh, open prize money, so you don't have to be an elite or a pro. Uh, Two thousand five hundred bucks for first place, male and female. Fifteen hundred for second, and seven fifty for third. That's as good as many seventy point threes and so on that you go to. Uh, last year, Peter Verbrusik took it out, and then it was sort of <laughs> Peter Verbrusik. He, turns he up is just like he has been racing because we used to give it a hard time. He raced pretty much as long as the show's been going. Oh yeah, you know, and he's still kicking around. Yeah. So good on them, good on uh, Southwest Australia for Kangaroo Island for putting up some money and we just want to make sure that, you know, there's a lot of iron distance races out there that aren't branded and they might not know how many prize money, but this is for age groupers and for elites. Uh, but they seem to have two, two kind of, I've just gone deeper into their website, they've got Southwest, but they also have Rush Fest, which must be the short races. Yeah, so they've it is very much a festival, they've got an iron distance, a half Ironman, the Ollie, so they've got the half Iron Fest, the Ollie Fest and the Sprint Fest. So Aussies, there's your opportunity to go do a cool looking race. Okay, so on last week, on yesterday's show, and I've got to say this is blowing up because yesterday we said you've got 24 hours to answer this question on Facebook. The question was, if you've been involved in triathlon for 10 years or more, what have you done to keep it fresh and exciting each season? And we've had 42 comments in 24 nice. hours. So oh, that's, that's a good response in any week. It is. Yeah. So Annette Lee said, number one, broken bones help to renew my enthusiasm. So poor old Annette was was down to do the Kona um, 70.3 last year and Challenge Road, broke her collarbone falling off her bike and couldn't do either of them. Um, but also number two, and this is, this is some really this cool is really, stuff, yeah. um, becoming a TO, so technical official. I wasn't too shabby compared to some of the numpties I see out there from a <laughs> TO's perspective. Three, becoming a holiday destination triathlete. And number four, enjoying the process, the outcome is a bonus. Yeah, nice. Good work. Oh, Peter Colson's got a good one here. I do races, which is a good point. I've sadly seen um, people that only do one Ironman or half Ironman a year and just train. Then after a few years, they just disappear. Keep uh, Racing keeps you fresh. After all, it's the reason you started doing the sport. And, and he basically had a note there because lots of people kind of said, yep, totally agree. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, Robert Roberto Lines, uh, help new people into our sport so as you feel their enthusiasm and feed off their enthusiasm. Uh, do different events that present different challenges, and I'm just seeing more. Do events in different locations uh, to also stimulate some variety. Vary training, find something f new to feed uh, into the schedule. Yoga, Pilates, body pump, kayaking, sup, uh, snowboarding, rowing, developing coaching knowledge and ability and helping host events to develop local clubs. 
That's where Balfong's got a good one here. Jumping and joining a new team, e.g. Cupcake Cartel, Smash First Queen, Win Republic, etc. Changing coaches, training with new people, going to new race destinations, and making sure you take a proper break after a big build-up. Scott Horns, I like this one too, going on my 27 season, Ah, nice work, shifting focus to Olympic distance and finally qualifying to attend the ITU Age Group World Champs in Edmonton 2020, nice work, Uh, fast at 50 is my new motto, going long as easy as we age but going fast is hard, couldn't agree with you more, so building up some strength and speed before venturing back into Ironman distance after a good 7-8 to eight year break from it, plan to be in this game for another few decades Good old Kevin Allen's got, uh, have more fun number 2, take uh, training uh, not taking training too seriously number 3, not caring about what other people are doing or thinking number 4, taking a break from training then approaching training differently again it's a good way of doing it, number 5, not making the same old mistakes, and number 6, doing different races Luke Egotts, uh, different venues and races. One year I did some exterior races in Maui. This past year I made an effort to get out and do some training and long road ride events with some strong and stronger than me cyclists. A hard group ride has some very good training effects. Penny Elliott's got a good one here. Enter events all over the world that cost the bomb, so you have to train. It's <laughs> a good one. Mm. Uh, good old Kylie Cox, who was suffering this morning on the, the wind training right next to me. How'd uh, she go? Did, she did a good TT. Nice, good uh, work, Kylie. I haven't been in for 10 years, but I always take a break after big campaigns and then train with friends outside of try and into other events. It doesn't make getting in the pool after a break any easier, though. But she was there yesterday morning in the pool as well. Oh, she's killing it. Nick Rose has got 20 years and still loving it. Change it up in winter, cross-training, 5K, 10K races, visit different countries to race, enjoy the time. Time off, had four weeks off at the end of the season and the body is desperate need to get back into it. Last one I'll do, Kevin Trout. This year I switched from Ironman and 70.3 to sprint distance racing locally here in New Jersey, US. We have a local Grand Prix series consisting of 18 super sprint uh, freaking fast and hard to Olympic distance races. That's awesome. You've got so many events. Plus this crazy seven stage run, bike, run, swim, run, bike, run event <clears throat> and I sucked at it, but it was an amazing balls, uh, amaze balls. Uh, about one every weekend, I got in 17 of the 18 and took third in my age group uh, for the 45 to 49 in the series. Fun stuff and super nice to be done with a race after an hour and can have a beer for lunch. Met a lot of super cool people in the local community and really rebuilt my love for triathlon as a whole. Now back to 70.3 training and going to bust, uh, going best my my PR this year oh and fell in love with Super League Triathlon while on the turbo if yeah someone else had Super League Triathlon as well but I'll finish off here with Tim Hemming that was Carl Trout actually Um, that was Matt Oakley who also said Super League but good old Tim Hemming has got it here if I was still racing after 10 years I'd be questioning the length of the course (laughs) (laughs) well done Tim you win that's a good one okay so this week's discussion coming up John we've got a good oh no let's talk about you what what about you Uh, look I've I've just been really impressed with those those comments there I think the key is is to not be doing the same thing year after year after year you can get in that routine can't you just going right I've got to go do Ironman New Zealand year after year and I've got to do the same races same training sessions on a Tuesday yeah I mean again I'm in a different kettle of fish a kettle kettle because I'm I'm um, you know, it's it's my business as well, but you know, for me, it's about having campaigns and not doing Ironman every year um, when I can. If 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 I wasn't 
didn't have the business and I wasn't organising the races, I'd be loving to do more racing and, and varied racing, short course stuff. Um, I enjoy doing the cross country running, um, but just just doing different distances and different courses. Uh, and then when I go back to Ironman, it's all in, you know. Um, so it's not just doing Ironman for the year after year for the sake of it. It's like when I'm doing an Ironman, it's all on. I'm not just going there to, to make up the numbers. Um, so that's what works for me. But I think, and, and the other th- the theme that came through with a lot of those posts from a lot of people that kept their interest is giving back a little bit. And that's great to see, you know, whether it be from a technical official point of view, whether it be getting involved in a club, I don't know, whether helping kids or just putting something back and actually getting the energy from those people and feel like you're making a difference seems to have really, really helped a lot of those people. So if you're in a bit of a rut, have a read through some of those comments because there's some really good stuff. Yeah, I never did it for tried 10 years. Mm. I didn't do 10 years. I probably did, when did I start? Maybe 2002. So I probably did six years. Mm. Six years. So I can't answer it. <laughs> I, did, I didn't last. But if you're in a rut, as I said, look, look through some of those comments because uh, yeah, if you've been doing the same thing for 10 years. I also think it's good just to do some self-reflection around the why. And interesting, I got, an, I got an email this morning asking someone to ask me to run coach them uh, individually, which I don't tend to do a lot of. I prefer to kind of work with groups. But um, And I know this lady, she's a local lady, and she has been in our groups, but she's kind of going to, she, she'll show me a timetable next year, and it's basically lots of marathons. And I know I know her well, and I know she's really been struggling with motivation in the last kind of couple of months of this year. And I just kind of went back to her and said, "Well, cool, you plan, but just tell me what, why, why, why do you want to do this next year? Like at the end of next year, how do you want to have grown as a person? And you know, it might be the plan that she's come up with, but sometimes we, when we think about the why, we can actually get a better idea of the better plan forward. If you know what I mean? Like if it's just because it's a routine." Well, is that a good enough why so you can still get as much love out of the sport? But when mm. you can find the right why, it's because I want to discover this side of myself. Like someone was saying they want to go back to speed to see what it's like to be fast again. Well, that's a cool why that also then probably changes the pathway a little bit for the mm-hmm. for the future, but also makes it interesting as well. So don't just kind of think about the activities you do make it interesting. Kind of go deeper into the, the reasons behind, you know, like when you had kids, well, how, how did what was the why behind the sport then, and how did what's the context of life that you could make it work? So the sport is still exciting because, you know, we, we're going to we're going to interview John Hellerman soon, and um, one of the things I loved about John is that he's someone who's lived his life in this sport and he's been able to maintain that for probably forty years, really. Yeah. Um, and you know, and he's obviously known the why of the sport along the way. So, and that will change as you go down your pathway too, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But for you, for people who have been doing Ironman for quite a few years, and if you haven't experienced short course, a, it's fun. You get to race, and it will help your long course racing in terms of your mental ability to suffer uh, more often uh, and just spice it up. It'll mean less training times. Ironman's fantastic. But uh, you know, short course can be awesome as well. But not everybody, unfortunately, not everybody lives in an area where there's lots of racing, no. and so we're kind of fortunate in in some places. Um, but yeah, read some of those comments; it's great stuff. Yeah, it really Thanks. was in 24 hours too. Guys nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, this week's discussion is obviously we're thinking about next year now. We're just kind of thinking, who would you like us to get on the show? So we're just it's suggestion time. Who would you like us to try get on the show in the coming year, and why? And, and to be honest. If you have a link to the person, it makes it a lot easier for us because sometimes we try to get people and it's hard to get them. So uh, if you know the person or if you have an inside loop that can help us get them on the show, by all means, let us know as well. Not just athletes, but also topics you'd maybe like us to cover as well in terms of, you know, 
particular nutrition topics or particular Training. sports science topics um, and we can either try to answer themselves or we get get those people on so it's ideas week okay John sponsor extreme endurance now if you're one of those uh, lazy people who just leave things to the last minute and you go bugger it need to order that forgotten about it extreme endurance can take care of you they've got their automated delivery so extreme endurance comes most of their products are in sort of one month supply uh, so for example with the extreme endurance you take three tablets morning and night 180 tablets last you 30 days um, with their automated delivery firstly you get it at a discounted price um, but secondly it's going to turn up so you're never going to be short of uh, short of product and waiting for it to arrive so that applies on a number of uh, you know all their products so they've got the extreme endurance immune boost and a bunch of others um, but just one way to make sure you're never going to be short and you're going to save a few dollars in the process so you still use the promo code imtalk20 um, get on there get yourself a discount save some money and make sure you're never going to run out especially if you guys are going into a running focus over winter you know running is that sport that really takes a toll oh, on your body especially um, hard running and extreme endurance is one way you can bounce back quicker from training sessions keep that consistency going and uh, and see the improvements both in your training and then on race day it'll give you that little extra boost. So check it out, xendurance.com. Xendurance.com. Okay, John, three, two, one. Age group of the week. week. Okay, so we're going to look at some of the Kona results and we're going to look at the female between the ages of, twi- oh, sorry, 18 to 39. Who are the age group champions? And, and so I thought, yeah. You know, is that one age group, is it? <coughs> no, I just, I just want to highlight some of the age group winners. We okay. sometimes sometimes do this and uh, and also I was looking for some content oh. and Oh, come on, Bevan, stick to keep the focus. I was. It was just an automatic ad. Don't you hate the automatic oh, ad? I hate the automatic yes, ads. There you go. So, in the eighteen to twenty-four age group, oh, sub ten-hour performance from Joanna Reiter. She went nine fifty-nine thirty-five, winning by two minutes. She swam one oh nine, rode five sixteen, and ran a three twenty-eight. First two were twenty minutes in front of third place. Nice work. Twenty-five to twenty-nine age group. Woo, fast racing there, Ruth Purbrook. She nice. took it out. One oh three swim, four fifty two on the bike. Wow, four fifty two. That is killing it. And then a three thirty two on the run for a nine thirty three forty six, winning by five minutes. The thir- females thirty to f- forty four, Teresa Cortacas took it out in 9.36. She swam 1.05. She also went sub five hours on the bike, 4.56, and rode a three and ran a 3.29, 9.36. And the last age group today, females 35 to 39, Christina Svenstrup swam 1.09. Again, sub five hours on the bike, 4.55, and then ran a 3.17 for a 3.28. Uh, and she finished 29th overall. Impressive. Those bike times, I know it was a fast year, but sub five hours, that's bitching. That's moving. That is bitching, John. Yeah. That's my new favourite word. Is so, it your favourite word? What's your favourite word? Yeah, we'll go with bitching. We'll, we'll be the same today. Bitching is pretty cool. Yeah. 
I never say bitching. That's going to be my new favourite word. I'm going to have a quick look, sir. John, so you're you bitching it. So those those females are riding sub five hours. We look at the the pro female woman. Danielle Reef doesn't really count because she's just <laughs> she's, on another she's planet. A, she's a, she's a uh, Lucy Charles doesn't sort of she counts, but uh, but you know when we look at say third through to tenth, most of those females there are riding mid to high four forties. So the age group females uh, that we've been talking about, yeah, about ten minutes behind. That's pretty solid. That is solid. Okay, John, we've got a great interview coming up. Uh, John Hellemans is a legend of the sport. Um, and he's just released a book called Never Ever Give Up. And it's got a question about there, which is kind of a bit about what our sport is about, really. But it's a memoir. And instead of me talking about it, let's get John on right now. Righty-ho, team. Uh, as you will have heard in the intro, we've got Dr. John Hellemans in today. Um, it's Christmas is coming, and it's a perfect time to get your hands on some books to either read yourself or to pass off to other people. He's got a new book out called Never Give Up, which is a memoir of John's career. So you've probably, if you haven't heard of John before, um, we've had him on a couple of times, also on Legends of Triathlon. So go back and just do a search of his name on imtalk.me and you can hear some other information. But welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, John. Right, so let's talk. Where to start? What a career. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I'm, I'm always keen to find out the process of actually writing a book. So firstly, what was your motivation to actually do this book? Yeah, it's been uh, coming on for a long time, for many years. Initially, I wanted to um, write a few things down for my grandkids, basically, and just mm. um, when I'm not here anymore, that and they've grown up and they want to know where they come from, that they you know get some information um, and so I started writing for my grandchildren. And so that sort of expanded because I started to write about my experiences as a coach and uh, my involvement with Aaron Baker. And then I passed some of the stories on to friends or uh, and some people to have a look at it and critique it. And um, gradually I got more and more recommendations to perhaps publish it. Um, and so that's when I sort of um, started more seriously about uh, about the whole process of writing. I went to writing courses, and that's how it sort of all came about. But you have written other books, so how was this book different to what you've written in the past? Oh yeah, the, well you're right. The other the other books, my first triathlon training book, uh, done in in the late late 1980s actually, was a technical book. So. Writing technical text is a lot easier than writing, uh, well, for example, writing your memoirs or, or writing fiction or even non-fiction uh, because the, the writing becomes more important or as important as the information in the book. And for me, that was, I, I love the written word. So this, I really got engaged with the whole process of writing. Um, I love reading, so I try to sort of make, the text come alive and also make it apply not only to athletes who are interested in the history of triathlon and what's happened in New Zealand and um, so I, I wanted it to appeal to the general public as well so they would pick up the book and say hey this is a fun read and that they sort of can't put it down sort of thing so that's very different from the technical writing I, I did it to a degree with the book I did on on the my zone length mm -hmm. of New Zealand um, yeah. adventure race which is called the misery of upright uh, of staying upright and I self-published that so that was my f probably first start um, and it was based on the blog I did every day and I refined it, and I really enjoyed that. But this was another step up 
where I, in the end I involved the publisher and you know that's a brutal process in yeah. itself um, but I, I learned so much and I really enjoyed it I probably enjoyed the writing more than all the events I've been, I've been <laughs> writing about you, you said you did a course what were some of the things you learned as a writer through this experience yeah, I think you, you, you write how how to engage the reader. I think that's that's the key thing. So you, you need to have a, a, a start. You can't say, well, in the beginning, you know, mm. this. So you need to immediately attract the reader and then and then keep their attention. So there's techniques to do that. Um, you use also, you know, quotations and quotation marks and um, so. Yeah, that I've got a lot more to learn, but um, doing those courses where you practice writing and you get critiqued by others is very, was very very useful. Mm. So it's a bit like tra- it's a bit like what we do as athletes. You know, we go at training and we get better, and it's the same with whatever we do. You need to practice it, and but you also need critiques, so you need coaches to help mm. you with that. Yeah. So how long did the process actually take? Once you actually, I know you said you started writing. Um, just sort of more for your grandkids and what have you, but once you actually said, oh, I'm going to do this, how long does the process actually take um, for, for publishing? Yeah, well, during my career, I've always jolted things down, you know, down. For example, if I did a race in Japan or whatever on the way home in the plane, I would always jolt a few things down about the race, funny things or, you know, the, the way I remembered it, and I just put it in a box. Mm. And, and so that's... That was the low-key start of it, um, and when when it became more serious, it it became quite an obsession, and and I would spend um, in lulls and spurs basically because you know I had to do it in my spare time, um, but I would certainly have suddenly have two or three months where I would write like hell, and then I would put it away, and then I would come back to it, and so probably four or five years mm. I've been so working on it. I, um, I write a journal. I write a journal every night. I've done it for 20 years. And one of the things I love about writing a journal is not that I go back often, but when you go back, it triggers so many other memories. Yeah, you're totally it's, right. Yeah. Yes. So what was the experience yeah. going through all the, you know, that kind of history of the notes that you had taken? What was it like? Well, you're quite right. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, also, by the time I tried to find some photos which related to the stories, and so it does bring back other stories. So in the end, the book was twice the size as what it is now. You know, so uh, there were so many stories in it, and it, you know, it was quite hard to let go of of some of the stories. Uh, but again, it's part of keeping the reader engaged. So if you have too many distracting stories then people sort of lose interest. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, perhaps there's going to be a second, uh, <laughs> yeah. second book coming because there's so much material. Yeah. Um, I went to the launch when the, the book got, um, it all came out earlier in the year and the, I'm not sure if she was the editor or the publisher, she was about as far from a triathlete as you could get. <laughs> she, she had was. no interest whatsoever in endurance sport, yet she was the person, I think, sort of leading the editing. So maybe talk through, you just mentioned that the book got cut down. Talk us through the editing process, um, what got cut, why it got cut. You sort of mentioned to keep the interest level, but um, just talk us through that process. Well, it's, it's interesting, this publishing thing, and I was warned that when you try and find a publisher, you, you get declined, you know, just mm. don't have any expectations. And it was true, I would send the, a draft to, say, four or five publishers, and usually you wouldn't hear back, mm. and, and that's their normal policy if they don't like the manuscript. Yeah. Every now and then I get 
an email back, a kind email, well, sorry, this is not for us. Um, but generally, you don't hear back. So um, in the meantime, I kept working on the book and improving it and so on. But I started the process of trying to engage a publisher early because I, I felt I needed help with the final proofs and all that. And um, then I got a phone call from, then finally, you know, Canterbury University Press was one of the um, publishers I approached. Um, I didn't even know they existed, but when I had a look at, you know, some more alternative publishers who might ex have a look at this, I, I thought I would love to stay and have someone in Christchurch, you know, I can actually talk to rather than somebody else uh, somewhere from another, uh, another region. Um, so, so then I got a phone call, um, rather than an email, from, from Catherine Montgomery, and she said, well, can, can you come in? And I'd like to meet you. That was all uh, she said. And so um, I, I met her the next day. I went to, to her office, and she said, well, um, I don't know anything about sport, and especially nothing about triathlon, but I was intrigued by your story, and I took it home to read and I read it in one day so I feel that there's something in there but it needs to have some serious editing done to it. <laughs> are you are you prepared for that and I said yeah 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 and she kept repeating well this needs to be seriously edited <laughs> and so and and actually in, in retrospect she was right because it is a brutal process this editing where um where that they streamlined the whole story. Uh, there was still a lot of grammatical stuff which needed corrected. And that's been one of my frustrations, that English is not my first language. Mm. Um, so as an immigrant, I've sort of lost my, my Dutch. Well, mm. not quite. You know, it does come back to me when I speak it for a while. And English is always my second language. So I, I do know that. And I write like I speak, and you mm. probably mm. pick up you know, quirky things. So uh, there was still a lot of residual stuff which needed to be cleaned up there. And um, and also the, the story needed to flow more. Uh, I, I would go from, from one period to another period. And so we had to sort of line things up a bit better. So they, they did an, an incredible job with it. What was the hardest story to drop? And maybe you want to share it here now. Like, what was the hardest, you know, because obviously you said it's twice the size, so there's a lot got dropped. What was the one that was like, oh, I really wish I could have kept that in? Yeah, well, there was there was a couple of stories which they actually put back in oh, because wow. I said, oh, come on. You know, there was, <laughs> there was one story and it had nothing to do with sport. So, so the book is also a bit about you know, growing up in Holland, um, you know, around the 60s and 70s. Um, <clears throat> and um, but, but there was one story when I arrived in New Zealand and I, I got a job at Wyra Hospital in Blenheim. And, and the medical superintendent there, Graham Smart, he was an old um, English surgeon, but he was also the medical superintendent and he played in a repertory society and he did everything and he was a very wise man and I, ha I had a, a story about him and how in the end when he retired he was replaced by seven managers, you know, so oh, wow. um, and, and he was an interesting guy so I wrote a story about him and that was cut out and I really loved the story in itself and, and who he was um, and so um, Catherine Montgomery decided to research him, which she did, and she said, well, you're actually right. So um, th that was a story which, 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 uh, which was rescued. 
um, there were many other stories would ruin, and I'm, I'm just trying to think of, of other, in particular, sporting stories. Well, there was one story where I competed in a Kawai Loves You triathlon, uh, which was a week before the Ironman in 1987. So we <laughs> were over in Hawaii with Erin to yeah. help her prepare for the Ironman. And we were there for a, about 10 days, two weeks beforehand. And I shot over to the island of Kauai a week before the main event because they had this, this triathlon on there. And um, I, I did that race and it was really hot. It was like mm. Hawaii and was very humid. And there was um, one guy up the road after the swim, an, an older triathlete who I, I, I don't recount the name of, and then there was me, and then there was a group of athletes, including Scott Molina and Spotty Anderson from, from Australia. And so the bike was about 60K. It was a long bike, so it was pretty rooted when I came off the bike, still in second place. The old guy up the road didn't run that well, so I passed him, and I was leading the race. And at the turnaround, um, and I, I, I ran back, and... Spotty Anderson and Scott Molina ran shoulder to shoulder, uh, and they were only about probably three, four hundred meters behind me, so they were catching very quickly. And Spotty Anderson had war paint on his face, <laughs> and he pointed at me, and he yelled out, "Hellemans, we're coming to get you!" <laughs> and oh, and I was so rude because when I saw them, I'd already thought, oh, "Okay, well, perhaps I have to accept that those guys are." are you know, better than me today. But when he said that, I really got so angry. Oh, know, really? Thought, so fine. Oh, F you. <laughs> you know, I'll see how long I can last. And um, so I'd, I kept my lead and I won the race. And uh, oh, well, and no. they came, came and visited me in the medical tent afterwards <laughs> because I was out to it. I was on a drip. Um, so that, that that was a story which got edited out, uh, much to my regret. Uh, <laughs> he wore paint on. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, we're not going to give away too much, which is it's in the book because we want people to go out there and, and read it. It's a good, really good read. I've uh, I read it. Uh, it. It only takes uh, took me maybe three or four nights in a row, and I was I was which is which is, which is a good which a tribute to the book because it's not a small book. You yeah. know, like you know, like it means you enjoyed it and. and one of the things that really captivated me was you sort of talking about your family life um, and the trials and tribulations of that. Was that hard to write about um, your parents and, and your family, um, or yeah, is that a hard part of the process? Yeah, it's, it's quite confronting, you know, especially when it's out there under the public. So I am, I have noticed, I'm very sensitive about that, and sometimes I feel, oh, you know, should have. Should I have written about this or not? But it, while I wrote it, it was very therapeutic as well. Um, you know, growing up w with a mentally handicapped sister really has affected, you know, uh, our family and, and my other sisters. And and I, I think other families who might be in similar situations will, will, will relate to it. Mm. Um, and hopefully it will help them and say, oh, we're not alone in, in this. There's other families with similar issues. You know, obviously I, I described my relationship with my dad, which mm. wasn't the greatest, um, with me being a conscientious objector, refusing to go in the army, so that wasn't to his liking. And, you know, he'd had a pretty tough time during the war, so... You know, I should have had a bit more understanding of, of his response. Um, he he drank uh, quite a bit, probably also because of experiences in the war. You know, as a young 
guy growing up. I didn't understand that, mm. but I bought a brunt of that. Um, so I do write, write about it. Actually, I, I've written about it in, indeed for some years, and when my mother was still alive, I showed her some of my writing about my upbringing, and she didn't really like it when she read it. And mm. she said, oh, you know, I, I, I've experienced it differently, um, but if that's how you experience it as well, so be it. Um, so I also decided then to wait with if I would publish it till perhaps after she died because mm. just of, out of respect to her and also toned it all down a, mm. a bit more and the editor toned it down even more so mm. so actually my dad is coming out quite well right. <laughs> so, so the question I have you say it's quite therapeutic so what shifted in you through this experience of kind of going through this like how, how, has it changed the perspective like what has helped you in the process yeah, but one is acceptance, you know, is well, this is how it was, but also an understanding of where you, my parents come from, you know, and for example, their war experiences, because while writing it, I started to become a lot more interested in, well, sort of like my dad being in a camp and escaping and being in the underground. Wow. What did all that mean? And so I started to, to read about it and, and study it and research it a bit more. So I did get an understanding perhaps of what my parents went through, you know, during the war, my mother uh, in the hunger winter, you know, riding her bike without tires, you know, on bare rims for, really? for 100k into the country to get food for a starving family in the meantime spying on the german uh, positions and relaying that back to the underground you know all all that suddenly brought it home to me yes well you know they've probably been seriously traumatized they were in their mid-20s wow. mid-20s you know during the war holland was occupied for five years you know suddenly i realized what that perhaps meant to those people and we had the earthquake here and it was pretty traumatic mm. and that was a sudden event and they had that for five years wow. you know and more so um an understanding you know and they really did their best and after the world war they you know, I, I now understand why they wanted to work so hard why things were a bit grim and they were very serious because there was a threat of the russians coming as well you know the cold war was there so i studied all that up um, what was this Cold War, you know, what was behind it. And, you know, it's come to, it, it, it's true that the Russians had plans to invade Western Europe. It's true that the, the, the France and, and Holland and those Western European countries had plans to, to cope with the Russian invasion with some token resistance and then probably surrender because they knew that they wouldn't have the ability to stand up to them for very long. So, um, so it, it gave me a great insight in, in that period as well. And also, um, I've always felt a bit guilty uh, about being a conscientious objector. I, I perhaps should have done my duty for my country, you know, especially under the circumstances growing up with the threat of the war. But I've also come out of it stronger and thinking, well, actually, that was a that I've, I've come to now to accept that perhaps that was quite a courageous you know decision to make and a stance to make uh, because at the time i did believe um that um that not that if everybody nobody would turn up to a war so what happens then mm. um, but of course you know it's a bit naive because in in retrospect um 
the enemy perhaps will not think the same. I, I watched that Peter Jackson documentary the other night. I went to the, the theatre and watched it, and it was really interesting watching about the young men when they came back from the war, because unfortunately for their generation, they just were given no coping skills, were they? They were very much just kind of get back to life, and it was interesting because the, the soldiers were saying they came back home, and actually the, the, the public kind of rejected them. So there was, you know, there was no real kind of freedom to express or to deal with the problems, and often that generation had a lot of problems around what they went through, didn't they? I think so, and... and um, also, when now we're sort of confronted with you know the, the inside information from wars all the time through mm -hmm. social media and and the press and so on, so you get a bit of an inkling what's happening. But uh, you know how can you recover from an experience if you're right in the thick of that? How can you recover from that? You know, and everybody is different. Um, so, but there were not only the, the soldiers who came home and had to sort of give the, their experience a place in the, in the rest of their life, but you also had the conscious object, objectives, mm. you know, who were vilified in and those your, your days. Your dad's a soldier and, and you're the son. And, and even in, in my day, you know, when the you know, army, the army was compulsory. And so as a conscientious object, objector, I was probably going to prison for a period of time or I had to do some community service for a couple of years. So it was pretty serious. Um, um, so either way, you are affected. And, and I've been seriously affected by, you know, the confrontation, especially I had with my dad who, you know, um, and it's probably one of the reasons why I ended up being a competitive athlete, so I, you know, I wanted to prove myself and, oh, and, and, and be a soldier. Perhaps that's one of the explanations I yeah, sometimes use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think often you, know, you get referred to as your fantastic coaching career, and that's where I think a lot of people go, John Hellman's, he was a coach. Um, and I, don't, I think the good thing about this book, it highlights to me just uh, your athletic career, um, and I think that's what a lot of people forget about, um, is how good an athlete you were, and, and you were competing against full-time athletes at the time. But I do want to focus on, on the coaching side of things and how athletes have changed, because I think a lot of us, you know, of, of our generation and, and older, I think looking at the younger athletes these days and going, oh, they don't know, you know, they've got it easy or they haven't got that work ethic. So I thought it'd be quite interesting to talk through sort of the generations of athletes that you advised and coached and and whether the athletes are that different or not um, and also how you've changed your approach. So I think it actually divides into sort of four sort of periods the way that I look at it. First, you kind of had... Aaron Bakers and, and some of those old school athletes and it kind of moves into a different period when, when I was kind of around and then into the early 2000s and then more recently. So maybe just talk us through, you know, firstly that Aaron Baker period and also, you know, people like Craig Watson and so on that came on the scene, what type of athletes they were and, um, and your sort of approach that, to, you know, to dealing with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I started off and I didn't realise that it, at the time with, with, with an athlete uh, like Aaron Baker, who, who was a dream athlete really as a coach. And I didn't even consider myself as a coach at the time. We just worked together and, and I sent her training programs uh, because I was intrigued in um, and how you could best train for the sport. She had a lot of time. I didn't. I had a family and, and a practice to run. Um, so we, we were good mates. She went out training. If she came home half dead, uh, I wouldn't put the, uh, what she, whatever she'd done in my program. But if she came home and said, oh, this was really good, I put it in my own program. So she was a bit of a guinea pig. But she was very, very tough. 
um, she would have done as well if she'd been coached by a doorknob. It was a bit yeah. like that. She was <laughs> so resolute and so determined. Um, so when um, other athletes came to me, because there wasn't any triathlon coaches around, I probably was the first one definitely in New Zealand, um, other athletes came to me and, and said, oh, can you help me? And I thought, well, this, this is easy. You know, I, I got a lot of credit for what Aaron had done. And so I was a bit vain and said, okay, well, we'll sort of turn a few more lemons into world champions. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't quite like that, you know. And so triathlon was evolving. Um, and those triathletes were, were a bit different from Aaron. They were normal human beings. So they had injuries and they had issues with relationships or with study or with parents or sickness. And so I had to become a coach. And that's when I started to engage with what was then called uh, the Sports Foundation, uh, who got coaches together and, and, and did courses. And so um, I, I loved that era where um, I learned to become a coach and engage with coaches of other disciplines and learned from other disciplines. And that was the time when, when you guys came along. Mm. We had the sort of Canterbury Triathlon Group here, uh, which I coached. Um, and that was a, a very um, fertile period where we had, you know, Sarah Harrow and, mm. um, and Jenny Roche. Um, and then we had yourself and, and some other athletes. So we had a good group going here. Um, and I was still pretty much um, in charge as a coach and I was learning, I was growing and you guys were growing with me and, and I, I, that's still, I, I was a true coach with Aaron, I wasn't really a true coach, I was more of an advisor and a mate, um, but I became a true coach more in the late 80s and, and, and throughout the 90s. And then uh, triathlon became an Olympic sport um, and so uh, suddenly the the pressure came on, you know, mm-hmm. to have a program, a national program, because we were an Olympic sport and the Olympic Committee came to us and said, well, what sort of program have you got to prepare for the Sydney Olympics? And I said, well, we haven't got any a national program. We've got a regional program in Christchurch. Well, you better set up a national program. I said, um, well, we haven't got any funding. Well, you have to come forward with some plans. And so I got to work and became an administrator for a while to set up at a national high performance program for triathlon that was in the mid 90s um so suddenly uh, politics became involved um, to try and get funding we had a lot of i stole a lot of plans from cycling new zealand remember eddie bright <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. a tri you know he was involved with triathlon and he he was military precision he set up the new zealand cycling academy uh, in preparation for Olympic for the Olympics and um, and those the, the plans were fantastic so I hijacked a lot of his plans and translated them to the triathlon presented to the sports foundation they were very impressed and <laughs> so that's how we got our first a um, lot of funding for our sport and then and, and, and that's how our first national program evolved um, and th- those first Olympic games you know we had Hamish Carter and mm. um, we, we as our prime um, athlete and we had Craig Watson who I coached and Ben Bright who I coached and I think we had Evelyn Williamson and, yeah. and, and the females um, and we, we were very hopeful and thought very well prepared but it was an absolute disaster um, so um, well it wasn't an absolute disaster I'd, I'd say Hamish was ranked number one in the world you know so he was the favorite to win the Olympic mm. gold medal um, but you know he failed miserably in that mm. Um, 
Craig Watson got 15th, I think, or 16th. Okay, he was the yeah. first Kiwi. He he was in the top 10 in the world and, and, and potentially a top five ranking. He was in good shape. Uh, so he didn't quite fire. Uh, ben Bright, two weeks before the Olympics, was in the form of his life. And he, he, he won the... Um, Christchurch to Ekaroa bike race by a couple of minutes, you know, from professional cyclists, you know, and so he was on fire. And then, but he he had an issue with with chronic fatigue and that would come back every now and then. And sure enough, he woke up the next day with symptoms of his chronic fatigue. So he was out the back door. Um, And so those Olympics weren't very good. Um, and, And I wasn't a high performance director you know I, I was that because of by default really because nobody else wanted to do it and that's when um, Mike Elliott took over that role and um, helped prepare the team for the um, for the Athens, Athens Olympics yeah. where, where we won the gold and silver mm-hmm. medal um, so that that was a um, golden period for what was it like to be a part of the New Zealand triathlon? I know Mark Elliott was kind of more in a bigger role then, but to be a part of the triathlon world in New Zealand at that moment, because that's pretty much the highlight for our sport really, isn't it? You know, and maybe Erin's Kona wins. You know, what was it like? And in, in, Describe it for us. Yeah, I mean, it, it was wonderful. We we were one of the strongest nations in the world at the time and recognised as such. And that was for a period for about 10, 15 years that it lasted. You know, one after another. It was Ben and, and, and Hamish were leading it. Um, but there were other younger athletes, you know, who, who were in support of them. So, um, yeah, it, it was a fantastic period. Um, and we had... We also found that when you're successful as a sport, you also get a lot more support from the national, from from the what now is high performance sport New Zealand. Mm. You know, so um, they muddy cuddled us. They made us a, a priority sport. So things were relatively easy, and we had a good culture within our sport. Um, and once we almost grew too big, you know, and we became too confident. Um, and so the, the the culture started to become a bit sloppy um, towards you know the late you know probably um, in preparation for London in particular. Um, so the wheels started to fall off. Um, uh, so the the culture became less strong and um, the funding dries out. The, the, the leadership. Um, fell by the wayside through different reasons and then you know we've been so probably struggling ever since mm. uh, as a sport um, nationally and also internationally um so just yeah back back to the athlete side of it so you know compare sort of the, the those guys that were in the the 2000s um with like your 90s athletes and and sort of the current generation of athletes you know same sort of people, same attributes, or is it, is it changed a bit as the sport has evolved in terms of what the athletes are like and maybe their work ethic, etc.? Yeah, I think it has changed. Um, I think in the 80s and 90s, I'd, uh, athletes would just show up and do the work. It was mm. more or less like that, and the guys who didn't want to do the work, they would slowly disappear out of the sport. <clears throat> but now there are so many support systems in place because they need to be in place because athletes have grown up now with... Um, with a lot of distractions, you know, um, like in the 80s, 90s, um, the the athletes would come from a background where they would 
play outside um, 40 hours a week while um, today or from the sort of mid-90s onwards athletes would come from a background of being sedentary watching television or sitting behind a computer 40 hours a week you know mm-hmm. that so the level of activity when they were younger <clears throat> has hugely changed and that's affected their resilience so then when you come into the sport when you're 16 17 year old and you want to take it serious you don't have this background of hardening of playing outside and being engaged with lots of other activities when you were younger so um so so the the current younger triathlon generation is not as resilient in my opinion so they need more support and um and that immediately puts pressure on on the whole program because when you you know especially at elite level you know there is pressure there are distractions and you need some uh, you need need to be resilient you know to survive Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so if you get injured a lot and in, if you depend on home support a lot and if you depend a lot of on physios or on psychologists to assist you, then the whole proposition becomes a lot more vulnerable. Mm. Mm. Um, what about the, the talented athletes? You know, you will have seen lots of really good athletes in Uganda, jeepers, if that kid can sort their shit out, they're going to be really good. So what's often the barrier for that, that sort of the, the really talented ones? Is it just work ethic, or what? You know, you've seen lots of talented athletes come and go. So, what, what's often the, the the issue for them not sticking around? Yeah, that that's been my big frustration as a coach. <laughs> you know, you see that talent and you think, oh shit! You know, if you get your shit together, you could be so good. And but I've come to accept that um, they need to want to do it. And so, what you see with those talented athletes, they often also have high expectations. And then when something goes wrong they start to doubt and then something else goes wrong because there's always in athletes career stuff you know happens a crisis mm. happens sooner or later and how they deal with that crisis is the the decides their future in the sport you know that's what i've learned so the ones who become more hungry because of it are the ones who are going to make it. It's the ones who are going to persevere. And the ones who get dejected and think, oh, I'm never going to make it and poor me, you know, why did this happen to me, are the ones who are not going to make it. And you cannot really do a lot for those athletes. You know, you can put them in with psychologists and things like that, but they need to have this inside hunger that this is what they do regardless of what happens to them. Um, so that's where they never get, give up comes from you know in saying that the, the book's titled you know the book i wrote title never ever give up yeah. but the question mark on the cover is actually what it's all about you know so um and this is perhaps part of it you know so those athletes who have a lot of talent and something happens and they immediately say well it's not worth it you know this is not what i want to do because it's too hard mm. and so they give up who had it the best? Like who had the want? Who of the people you saw? Oh, probably Erin. Outside of Erin, who had that kind of desire? Well, a, a guy like Craig Watson, you know, who who, and you you know, yeah, him, yeah, John. He, he well. you know he 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 looked he was going to be a, a good average one. to good age group, wasn't yeah. he? Oh, you know, really? really? Yeah. When he was eighteen, you know, he, he was a good athlete, but he was never looked like to be an elite athlete. Yeah. 
And he just worked his butt off. And he had your source, and he had stress fractures of it. He, had bow, he was bow legged, you okay. know. And so he always has fract, stress fractures of his shins, and he would come and see me. And I said, Well, you really need to take a break. And he said, Well, if I don't uh, take a break and keep training, can I do myself any harm? And with stress fractures of the shin, you probably don't, you can't really do yourself harm. It's just sore, and they yeah. eventually will heal up. So I told him that. So he would go out and train even harder. Wow. He was that sort of a guy. That's how he achieved. You know, he got third at the world champs at, at one year mm. and uh, top 10 in the world for many, many years. And he really wanted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's a good example. But the other athletes who made it, and I remember you, John. You wanted it, you know, yeah. and and you weren't the most talented yeah. athlete in the world, but but you were prepared to do the work. And and to me, you you won the bronze medal at the elite champs in Gisborne one year, and that to me as a coach was was as good as as as, as a world mm. championship for many other athletes, you know, because the athletes who apply themselves and then they get rewarded that way. It doesn't matter if they win an age group championships or get third at the mm at the elite New Zealand champs or whatever, when they reach their potential, that's when I, when I, yeah, when that's I'm excited reward, isn't it? Yeah. Me on. Yeah. We were in Kona and you were over in Kona with your wife this year and um, it was quite cool. I got to, We got to be a part of Scott's table and Scott Nuren's table. And it was kind of like, when we were talking before the show about how you, your generation is the first generation that lived a full triathlon life. You know, you guys pretty much started at the beginning of the sport and you're still in the game today. What has been the value of having triathlon in your life? Yeah, I've probably been d- defined by it. So uh, subconsciously, that's what I realize now. Um, because I've, you know, I've, uh, I'm, I've, uh, I've been sort of forced to give up be, be, being a competitive athlete because I've got this arrhythmia, you know, this heart condition, um, and so, um, and, and it's been pretty tough. And I didn't think it would be tough. I, th- I always thought, well, when I, you know, Aaron Baker always said, well, you either have to give up, you're either forced to give up or you choose to give up. Mm. And I'm now forced to give up. And I find it pretty tough. Um, and I've, I, I spoke to Dave Scott and he's got, he's in a similar position, uh, you know, and it's, it's totally thrown us. Um, so... Um, so I do think it's it's defined ourselves and, and looking back at the time we didn't think much of it but it was a new sport and it, it was a very exciting sport and every year there was something new either in equipment or in rules or in races you know it's been very dynamic um, so and also my involvement not just as an athlete but also as a coach um, it, it, it probably has defined myself if, if I like it or not. Um, the coaching, I'm currently in the process of giving up, and I choose to give that up. I think I've, um, I've, I've used, uh, I've reached my used by date. I, I think we all have our used by date, and you, we all have to find out when that is mm-hmm. for ourselves. And in coaching, frontline coaching, at least, I feel I've reached that, and I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, I'm more contented with that than having to give up as an athlete, because probably because I'm forced to give up. But um, yeah, it, it it is a, a time of reflection on the moment. Mm. 
Mm. So it's what next for you now. You know, you've got <laughs> athletically, um, as you said, you know, you're going to be forced to, to slow down. But there, coaching stopping. Yeah, you're going to be stopping your medical career to, to a degree. So is that a scary time for you? Um, and and other than looking after grandkids, what, what's on the horizon? Dad, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look after your kids. <laughs> yeah, no, I love my grandkids, and I love the idea of spending more time with them. Um, so that that's not an issue. But uh, I've got so much to do really uh I, I look forward to the next period I, I love reading i'll probably do some more writing um and be be out in in discover new zealand more um tramping and hopefully biking for as long as i can so i keep being active exercise for health um so it's not scary for me at all cool so guys, if you want to check out John's book, it's uh, called Never Give Up with that question Never mark. Never give up. Never ever give up. Question um, mark. Question mark. <laughs> so Kiwis, you can get it through uh, nationwidebooks.co.nz. Uh, if you're elsewhere in the world, you can either get it through Amazon or ipgbook.com. And I'll put a link to those in the show notes. Yeah, so check it out, guys. Great read. It'll give you some good insight into New Zealand triathlon history as well as uh, John's life, which has got some, some nice little twists in there. And, and certainly a few of those stories in there uh, seem to shiver down your spine which I'm not going to divulge now but um, it's, it's good read so nice work on the book John and thanks, thanks John. for your time today yeah thanks mate thank you awesome what a legend eh it's fantastic yeah really enjoyed that I could talk to him for hours yeah I know you know what I mean like well, I could have easily just sat here for three hours and just waffled on and gone deeper into because he is like he is the first generation of our sport if you know what I mean mm. like he's the first him and Melina and that group of guys uh, and girls are the group who started at the start and have, have lived a life of the sport. And, and we're a bit biased because A, he used to be my coach, he's from Christchurch, and so we know him, we know him well. Um, but some people did regard him as the man. Could have been the fifth, you know, the, the fifth of our member of the Big Four. If he was full-time athlete, yeah. he was uh, worked as a sports doctor and, and carried that on, not necessarily full-time all the time when he was racing. Well, though, back in those days, he just would have been a doctor, wouldn't he? You wouldn't have had sports doctors back in the 80s. Yeah, true, correct. He wasn't when he initially he was yeah. Yeah, just a, a, a doctor. Uh, so he's got a lot to offer us. Well, he has offered our sport a huge amount, especially for us Kiwis. So. And you've read the book, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, again, I look at it for, through a different lens because I know John very, very yeah. well. Uh, but I think everybody will enjoy it. It's got. It's not all triathlon. It's got a, some great stories about him moving to New Zealand and some and about family life. Uh, and then it's, it just it tells a lot of stories yeah. about some of the. Top athletes. You know what I love about it? You know, like I, I always feel it's interesting as your age, isn't it? Like, you you know, a lot of people want the young people to like them, older people want young people to like them. It's like youth, you know, like youth don't get it yet. You know what I mean? Youth don't get that what where we are in our life and they need more experience to kind of understand it. But when you kind of get to our age, you're kind of middle life and you see those people who are a little bit ahead of you, like John, who's kind of at his retirement age. I just love their wisdom mm. and you know and, and I want to be able to learn and kind of you know from those types of people and to someone like John if you're a lover of the sport it's going to be a great book to read because mm. you're just going to be able to you know like in many ways we're all a little bit different but we're all a bit the same mm-hmm. and um, and so the fact that we're all a bit the same I'm sure reading John's book we can all kind of self-reflect and kind of probably take something from it ourselves and probably learn something from it as well yeah. um, so I haven't read it yet I'm going to go to Queenstown this weekend I'm going to try and knock it out of the weekend because I love a good book and uh, but I'm sure I'll love it so if you want to get the book John where do they go? 
Uh, so we just we just talked about that at the end of the show. I know, but I'm trying to uh, give the big plug here, John. Oh, you're trying to give the big plug. Bloody hell. Uh, Go to Iron Talk to me. I'll put the links I, on it. No, also for Christchurch listeners and anybody who's coming to the Pack and Save Triathlon Festival, which will be this weekend if you're listening to this uh, fairly quickly after it's released he'll be out there and he'll have copies of the book there kiwis you can go to nationwidebooks.co.nz and just do a search there for never ever give up or search by john's name also internationals uh, you can get off amazon or also ipgbook.com uh, so check it out yeah really good book check it out okay john uh we don't think we have any questions and answers do we Oh, no. questions no, and answers. answers. I just want to say thank you to Finn. He sent me a book. Finn Zweiger? Finn Zweiger, who's, uh, what's his nickname? Is it uh, The Mighty? The, it's like The Professor or something like okay, that. Okay, nice. Hold on. No, carry on. You, you, oh, you carry on. Uh, John. Have you, have you read it yet? N- no, I got it yesterday. <laughs> so I, I will, I'll actually, I'll prob- I'm going to be honest, Finn, I'll probably read John Hallerman's book first, but it's a book about mountain climbing, so I'll read it and I'll give you guys a bit of a report on it, but he sent it over because he knows I love kind of deep and meaningful I was books. right the professor the professor Thin so um, thank you Thin for sending that book I just want to say thank you for that because I love a good book now John wants to play the replay of the Blender Challenge well in light of us just of talking to Bob Sebaha last week about uh, vegetarianism and veganism and he was really stressing about you know um, the blender can be your friend and smoothies are fantastic if you are going down that path I thought might just add a little bit of spice today, show a little bit of entertainment for the Blender Challenge. It was in episode 360, I think it was. Wow, uh, half, so half if, if you're relatively new to the show, you may not have heard it. It was reasonably entertaining. John talked up a big game, didn't you, John? I did. So I had my new Blender. Let's give the history. So what happened was John had bought, what was your brand? It wasn't a Vitamix, but it was a, it was a equivalent, of. equivalent of, and it was about a, a half the price. It's a good blender. Still new, still going strong. We make blenders, smoothies for the kids. That blender is still going strong Regularly. Too. Yep. And it's, if, if you're going to get a blender to do proper smoothies with lots of you know, vegetables and bits and pieces in there, you need a kick-ass one. And I was confident. Mine Tom could, was, he was so confident. He said, let's have a challenge. Because I had bought the cheap one from Briscoe's, yes. which again is still going today. So, <laughs> so 360. So that's probably 300 episodes ago. So it's about 10 years ago or a long time ago now. And uh, so he came around all cocky Newsome, we called him. He thought he was bitching. Had my, had my, I think we had celery going in there yeah, as well. He brought, and he, brought the, he brought all the ingredients. He brought ingredients <laughs> just to make me look like a fool. And somebody else looks like a fool. So here Why we go. My, yeah, Here's a, a legendary moment from the history of I Am Talk. Here we go. What, sorry? I've got to do the blender challenge because oh, Joe yeah, has to yeah. go. Yep, yep. Okay. So how are we going to do this? Well, I mean, I've got some fruit here. Why don't we bring out both our blenders in here now? You get your blender set up. It's going to be pretty noisy. We're going to have to be a bit careful. No, we won't, we, won't, we won't record when we're pushing it on, but we'll put yeah. all the ingredients in. Yeah. So you get your blender set up, and I'll talk about you doing your blender. Do you want me to get the names, or do you want me to do my blender? Oh, well, can't you do two things at once? I You're a typical man, you are. You're a typical man. I cannot multitask. Okay. Pause the show. Let's get the blenders out. Okay, blenders are coming. Oh, mine's already ready. Mine doesn't take long. Here we go. Okay, team, so you may hear some background noises right now. John's in my kitchen. He's looking like the, the good woman that he is. And he's chopping up the... What are you, what are you chopping up now, mate? He's got the pears. He's chopping up pears. And he didn't get pineapple from a tin. He's actually got real pineapple. What are you thinking, Joe? Oh, I think it's going to taste beautiful. It's going, well, he's got celery, babe. It's going to taste like crap. So he's now chopping up... What are you chopping up now, mate? Pineapple. Pineapple. He's got, so you've got pineapple. Do you actually buy real pineapples, do you? Real pineapple. Real pineapple is... <laughs> he's looking... Do you, take, do you keep the middle bit in there? No. Oh, good. That's good. No, he takes the middle bit out. No, my bananas. No, his banana was weak, so we actually used one of my real bananas, which proved to be a good strategy after all. So he's got banana, he's got cucumber, he's got pineapple, celery, and a pear. Anything else? 
You do put water on there, do you? Did you? I haven't got ice. You want me to put some frozen berries in there? Because the flavour's not that good. Okay, anyway, I'm going to be back in a second, guys. There was just a little bit of an update. Okay, so we'll, we'll bring it. We'll be back in a second. And what we'll do is we'll have the, um, we'll put the blenders on and you'll hear the background noise. Here we go. We're back in a second. Okay, so we're back in the, we're, we're kind of in the studios and we've brought the blenders into it. We've taken a photo and Jombo's got his blender first. He's going to go first and I'm going to do a commentary on his. And then I'm going to go second and then he's going to do a commentary on mine. Okay, John, you ready? He's turned the blender on. Starting to do something. John's not doing anything. What's happening? It's not blending. I need a shake. <laughs> He's got to shake it up. It's not blending. <laughs> it's not blending. With laughter, so it did blend eventually, but it did take a couple shakes. Just needed three shakes. <laughs> three shakes. You may laugh now. Wait, till okay, you wait. See what now it's my yours. turn. John's gonna commentate on mine. Wait a second. Okay, oh. so, so wait. Oh, what's he doing? What's oh, he doing now? Yours. No, no, you got, I'm gonna do mine. Okay. Jeepers, creepers. Okay, wait a second. So here we go. I'm gonna go do mine. John's gonna commentate. It's just a nice, gentle, gentle green color. There's quite a bit of fruit in there, not enough water. There's no blending going on with Bevan's either. There's no blending. <laughs> There's no blending, he's shaking. It's just not happening. Oh, no, he is getting a little bit of movement now. Yeah, he's movement. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. Oh, it's done a lot better than I thought it was going to do. I'm interested to see. Yeah, a little bit longer. A little bit longer. He's got. He's actually got. It's performed better. Let's see what the consistency's like when it comes out. Oh, he's given a little okay, extra okay. pulse. A little okay, extra okay. pulse. I'll get a couple glasses. Okay, here we go. Okay. Okay. We're coming, team. We're coming. Okay, okay. This is great podcasting. Okay, we're back. We're back. We're back. I have to say, that was the highlight of my day. <laughs> that was the highlight. Okay. So Bevins did perform better than okay. I expected. It did perform better than expected. I don't. Wait, so I'm pouring mine now. I think I've wasted five hundred dollars. <laughs> Do you want to try? My, well, we'll just you try mine. Okay, we're going to share the same cup. Okay, that's all right. I haven't got any bogeys. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. It tastes the celery pretty strong in there. Yeah, you can taste celery. I have to admit, there are a little celery bits in there. <laughs> What's that there? What's that there? It's pineapple or celery? A pineapple. Okay. We're just going to taste this. I know this is yep. amazing podcasting. Yeah. Again. Okay. Here's my here's my honest okay. conclusion. Yeah. Yours probably breaks it down a little bit better. It does. But I don't know if it's 500 <laughs> No, I, I would tend to agree with that. I need, <laughs> because I need some harsher ingredients for you. They did do well with the celery. I, was, I thought the celery was going to be the crunch. That's $69, John. Mm-hmm. $69. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, I'm still happy with my smoothie. I, 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 think, I think, if we're going to be honest, I think you lost the blender challenge. Uh, I think I produced a better smoothie. I think slightly better, but not not hugely better. Not hugely definitely better. mine's got strains in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
And once there's a little strains, yours is more consistent. Mm. If we throw a bit of ice, a bit of frozen stuff in there, yours might struggle a bit more, but it did perform pretty well. Yeah, pretty happy with that, John. Good. I have to say, the fact that it took you three times to get yours going was the highlight. You were shaking yours like crazy. Oh, admittedly, I was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there was, there was gold buttons. There, goes, so there yeah. we go. So for those who are looking at buying a new blender, what would be your advice, John? Go down the $69 route first, see what you like of the consistency. But mine does pretty good. If, if that's the thing. If you're not going for really harsh um, frozen stuff, they pre- did perform better than I thought it would. We're both pretty happy, John. Yeah. We're both pretty happy. And we've now got good smoothies to, to finish off. The it's actually day. not that bad. Celery's not that bad. Yeah, the celery's pretty harsh, so. Mm. <laughs> no, do that a bit louder, a bit closer to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Last week, John did the crunch. This week, I do this. Sorry. Ah. Oh. You said it must have hurt. You must have gone home and cried about that one. Yeah, it was. I think you sabotaged it somehow. I did not. <laughs> if you, I, I don't exactly remember what happened, but Bevan was shaking the shit out of his blender, whereas mine was no, just kind of doing its business. No. Bevan was like, "You was started like, shaking when yours wasn't working." It was yeah. like you were doing a cocktail. You were shaking yours around, so there was it wasn't it wasn't the. You know what we're hearing? Team? We're hearing excuses. Yeah. That's what we're hearing. Okay, let's talk about book patrons, John, and we've got a new patron. I showed the name is. We have Chris Schrader. He lives in San Antonio, Texas. I'm just a beginner age grouper I've whoops a daisy I hit my wrong button there I've done uh, it's a beginner age grouper he's done a 70.3 in Galveston Texas and one full at Ironman Texas in 2016 I know everybody hates on Ironman Texas now that it hasn't been the full uh, distance the last couple of years and the drafting pack issues but it's still a great race in, in its early years my goal was to finish my first full I not, had not even run a marathon when I signed up to Ironman Texas I began listening to y'all y'all my preparation for my hey, first full I was thinking Ironman would be a one and done but I'm looking to do my next one in Ironman Florida next year if it recovers from this year's hurricane I did get a press release through the other day that said they are returning to Panama City next year for the Ironman that's the intention and the plans uh, that being said I've started listening more often and have decided to pitch in for the great work you guys do the long absence from the sport has been a result of me tearing my ACL after jumping on the trampoline with my daughter can't have fun with your kids. Uh, he's included a picture and he says, I'm the one on the right. He's actually brave, bravely sent in a picture of him and Lance Armstrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> so Chris is up. All the pictures of our patrons that send in pictures are on imtalk.me. Uh, you can check those out to see the, all the different faces from around the world. So nickname, Chris, how does his last name? Uh, I would go for Schrader. Schrader? I'm thinking, I'm thinking Chris... St- Oh, I was thinking Chris Shredder, Shredder, but you tell me. Oh, what I, you're I was going to say Starman. Yeah, but I reckon Shredder's actually pretty good. Shredder, Chris yeah, Schrader. Chris Shredder, Shredder, and we'll do Shredder like Reddit with the it at the end. Do you look good? Do you go Reddit? <laughs> I don't, but I know Reddit is R E D I T. Yeah, so we'll go Shredder. So it's it IT. Double D? Is it Reddit? Double D? I think it's double D. Okay. But anyway, um, Chris Shredder, Shredder. Okay, you you nailed that one, Newsom. You nailed it. Now, if you want to get nailed by Newsom. <laughs> <laughs> it's only for Belinda. Um, if you want to get nailed by Newsom and get a cool nickname by either myself or John Newsom, you can become a patron of the show. Go to www.imtalk.me and it's just a little page on the site. Click on it. Go through it. It's all pretty obvious. And while we're here, John, let's talk about sponsors. Extreme Endurance. <gasps> you lactic like buffer. Guys, get on it. They've been a long-term supporter of the show and if you haven't tried it, get on there. Even just get yourself one month's supply. Try it out during your next race. 
You're going to get the John Newsom guarantee that it's going to lift your performance. Oh, the John Newsom guarantee. Yeah. You're like Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> you're Oprah's list. Uh, if you want to get the show emailed to you, you can email imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, no. go to Sorry, if you want to get emailed to you, go to our homepage, and it's on our homepage down the bottom. Put your information in. Basically, each week I just release it there, and we don't spam you. Uh, if you want to become a patron, I've already talked about that. And also, thank you to all our patrons. John, for coaching, coachjohnnewsome.com. My podcast is bevanjamesisles.com, as you can get it from there. And if you want to send us through some content, make sure you do, because we love the content from you guys. John, your goss. Oh, my goss. When this show comes out next week, I'll probably be sitting in my exam. What's the, exam on? What's the exam on? What are you uh, learning? Nutrition and disease. So basically nutritional impacts on things like cancer, metabolic syndrome, um, uh, and various intolerances. Has it been a subject you've enjoyed? It, yeah, it has. Oral, oral health. But it's, it's uh, like it's scratching the surface. It's like one lecture on yeah. implications of food on cancer. Yeah. And, and so you really are just skimming the surface. Um, but it's interesting. Well, uh, what, what, through your study, what have you found most interesting? Uh, I'm just enjoying the probably the more chemistry side of it in yep. terms of actually what's going on inside your body. Um, but <laughs> a lot of it is common sense. You know, like in this exam that I've got, you know, the, the common theme is going to be to answer it, what can you do better? Eat fruit and vegetables. Oh, really? Don't smoke. Don't drink. Okay, That's yeah. just like recurring theme of every disease. It's like eat fruit and vegetables. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Yeah. And then there's obviously a few other bits and pieces. But also I think it, it helps. I think a lot of us don't have that understanding around uh, how important hormones are. And, you know, often you look at fat people and you go, they're just fat and lazy. And there's so many different mechanisms going on inside people's bodies that it's not just down to willpower in terms of, you know, for, for obese people, you know, there's leptin, which some people will have heard of. You know, when you become resistant to that, you know, your, your brain's not telling you that you're full. Like for you and I, if we eat something, um, you know, there's there's mechanisms going on saying, okay, you've had enough, should stop well, eating. Well, I watched that. you on Kona. I don't know if you got that either. Yeah, I know. And sometimes <laughs> we ignore that. You know, you're full, but you're going, I'm going to keep eating this because this tastes really good. Yeah. But you know, when people get obese, those um, hormones <clears throat> your stop body's working, working against you, and and so you're eating and you're not getting full. You, you are full, but you're not. Your brain's not telling you full, so you keep eating. So there's a willpower element to everything, but it's not quite as simple as that. So. Yeah, that's it's, it's good times. Uh, and I tell you what's hard with exams, so Bevan. Luckily, this one's only a two-hour exam, but um, just writing. You know, when you try. It's amazing that I don't need you use. I know you know never hacking and crap, but you think nowadays, like how often do people write? <clears throat> Whereas, how much time do we spend on a keyboard? Correct. Yeah. Or the, well, oh, you look at the young generation. Well, the, the young generation, you say that. I know that the school, all the school kids these days are having exams at the moment. And there was one on yesterday. Again, this is a week news old. Uh, news is a week old. And they, and there was an online test, and everything crashed, and the computers didn't oh, work no. for an hour or something. Imagine the stress you're going through there. Oh man. Um, but yeah, writing continuously. I, I really struggled to get everything down on paper for two hours like I write a journal every night and that, so I write every day and it takes me I probably write for about 15 minutes yeah um, but oh. to write for two hours and you've got strong wrists oh mate especially <laughs> my left one um, but but um, for two hours I feel your pain yeah. it was like my mate Jeff my mate Jeff my, one of my best mates he's just recently gone to mountain biking because he's got to go overseas and he won't be able to he loves road biking but he can't road bike much when he's overseas so he did that um, McLean's Island mm-hmm. and he, I think he did the 12 hour and he said his thumb mm-hmm. was dead from bloody doing the, the uh, changing yeah changing he's just not used to pushing bloody the lever for so long and mm-hmm. he just said his thumb was like agony the next day mm-hmm. because he's just not used to it 
So yeah, I'm not looking forward to writing continuously for two hours. Outside of that, Bevan, this weekend we have the Pack and Save Triathlon Festival, which is going to be good times. We have a draft legal race which uh, for age groupers as well, which they really enjoyed last year. Uh, just adds, again, you know what we talked about earlier in the show, just a different dynamic. So what races do you have? Uh, we have everything. So we have a non-draft, non-drafting race. We have a like a try-try race. You have a kids race. We have a real little kids race. We have a duathlon, a teams race, and then uh, and then we finish with a draft legal age group race, which will have elite elite athletes in as well, or elite elite yeah. juniors and so on. But um, it's just a different dynamic when you are in a drafting race. Uh, some, you know, last year the, the groups were quite small, you know, threes and fours here and which there. Which is perfect really, which isn't is, it? Which is great. You can just get together with a group and just start smashing it. So people really enjoyed it. Nice. Good times. What's happening with you, Bevan? John, I spent last weekend in Queenstown. Mm-hmm. Can't actually remember what happened there because it actually hasn't happened. But I'm looking forward to that. It's got the Queenstown Half Marathon. Um, one thing I am doing in the next few weeks is I'm going to be emceeing that um, car park cannibal uh, yeah. race again. Yep. Yeah, which is, so I think it's a bit of a global thing now, isn't it? Well, it's quite big in, in Melbourne, that's where I think I think it originated, at least where that's where the genesis for the for the idea for the Christchurch one came from. So you're basically racing uh, a bike. Up a car park. Up a car park, building and then kind of a party on the top floor. Yeah, as, last and year. And you they, go, t- it's two up, so you go, you're racing, racing rounds against somebody else and you get eliminated if you, yeah. uh, if you don't. And do the it. guy who won it was a guy, Ollie, I mean, um, Guy from he works at the gym. Um, God, I've just totally gone blank on his name. He's quite a good multi-sporter. You probably know right. him around the around the yeah. traps. Um, but he just said the problem with he won it quite comfortably. We, we actually did win it quite comfortably. But um, a he used kind of hybrid tires because mm-hmm. most guys are on the roadies and actually because it's just Stopping. all about cornering mm. and coming out of your corners. Uh, and B, just the, the, the road cyclist just doesn't have the skills because yeah. he's a road cyclist slash mountain biker and he's just saying there's cornering, you know, getting the oh, lines yeah. and stuff, you know, like. But it's a pretty intense thing because it's probably only about a minute of riding and it's smashing it out. Absolutely. It'll be fun. It's not for most people, not going to be their peak event for the season, but it's all again. Back. What's the most crazy kind of crazy race you've done? Like one time years ago, me and my mates did a race to the top of a building where you just had to race each other over top. I think we did a time trial. Hmm. Um, so, you know, just kind of random kind of crap. You know, outside of the loop. Jeez, uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I've done some pretty, pretty hard races overseas, but nothing crazy, crazy. Maybe I'm a bit too conservative, Bevan. Open up your mind, John. Yeah. Open up your mind. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. We're going to be back in the studio at our normal time next week. And uh, so let's get into it. We'll hear about John's race. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mando. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. <laughs>